Welcome back to the Practice Purchase Podcast. We are in Season 6, and this is Part 2 of my interview with Jason Auerbach. Jason, of course, a.k.a. Bloody Tooth Guy on um, every social media platform you can think of. Uh, it's extremely, extremely interesting conversation because Jason gives you the mindset of someone who's been successful in the industry and who wants to be around other successful people. So as you listen to part two of this episode, be thinking about what it is you like about Jason, what it is that resonates with you. He's a Northeasterner, lives in New Jersey, New York. He's, he's, um, he's loud. He's, um, confident. You know, what are the things that resonate with you? And maybe if, if there's something that you notice you would do differently, sure, note that. Uh, but, uh, bloody tooth guy, Jason, a good friend and uh, just, uh, and a fantastic mentor for those of you listening. Uh, enjoy part two of the episode with Bloody Tooth Guy. If I could repeat back what I think I just heard you say in kind of a nutshell version, yeah, um, it would be to be very well informed by doing things like listening to podcasts, perhaps, and and following smart people on social media. Um, I hear you also saying develop a niche and a skill and be valuable in a very already niche marketplace. You know, dentistry has a pretty thick brick wall around it as a, as a profession. Nobody can just hang out a shingle and be a dentist, let alone a specialist. Um, and what I hear you saying is that's not enough. You need to make yourself special in a way that gets you excited. Right? Right. If, you, if you don't love implants and you think you're going to go to the, the weekend implant course and suddenly be inspired, you can try, but um, you know, find something that you really enjoy doing. Then the third thing I heard you say, which is that this speaks to the certified financial planner in my heart, um, which is um, as long as you feel like you waited, especially compared to your exact age peers, right? Your buddies from high school that didn't do four years of uh, dental school, plus some specialty work of some kind, plus, you know, some time in the trenches as a first associate, um, you know, you see your high school friends going on the vacations and taking the trips and buying the houses. And what I hear you saying is it'll come. But if you go put yourself in a bunch of debt right out of dental school or right out of a specialty program, it's going to limit your options. And um, you're going to have a harder time achieving the kind of freedom that you have. Absolutely. That summary? Yeah, completely. That yeah. last part, though, in particular is, you know, a lot of people, I see a lot of guys spend a lot, I say guys, a lot yeah, of yeah, practitioners, spend, yep. yeah, the, a lot of people spend a lot of money. And, and of course, you, you want to kind of feel that you are enjoying a little bit, but you got to be, yeah. be really, you got to be really smart about it. You know, you got to live with a foot in today, a foot in tomorrow and think about like where you're going to be. You don't want to be behind the eight ball with debt, with unnecessary debt. Of course there's debt. And I tell anyone, I literally, I, I interview a ton of people for, uh, you know, for part, uh, positions here as surgeons. And I don't, every single one of these guys is going to be successful. Everyone's going to make a very good living. They're all going to be able to enjoy their existence and travel. And, you know, if, so long as they stay healthy, you know, have a long career of all positivity, it's just a matter of like, don't chase the money, do, do what's right every single time with your patients. And another thing I was saying, and I know I'm quite verbose, but another thing I was, and another thing I was saying, um, is you want to differentiate yourself, yes, and find a passion and figure out what it is that drives you and really kind of focus in on that. But you you really also want to bring some non-clinical expertise to the table. So when I have a, a young associate who's really interested in integrating technology into the clinical aspect of care, and, and I feel comfortable that they know exactly what they're doing far better than I do. Again, I'm 50. You know, I knew it. I knew the 
the most up-to-date technology 20 years ago. Now I feel like I know it, but I know I don't know it. But if you're 32 years old and you understand you're just out of residency, you know exactly what's going to captivate the patient audience at that time and the referring doctors and all that, like run with that. You you bring that into into the practice. You know, that's part of the beauty of the larger scale practice where there's collaboration. Everybody's got different skill sets that are complementary to one another, but a shared focus, uh, which is, you know, optimal patient care. So yeah, well, it all comes back to the patient or it should. Let, let me um, give you two dentists, younger dentists. You talked about, uh, you know, the third prototypical 30, 31 year old um, dentist. Let's say she, both of them, both of these dentists are, um, let's say one wants to go be a practice owner. One wants to come work for you. Okay. Um, and they could be the same person. They might be different because the question I'm going to ask you is um, thinking back to when you bought some of those first practices, um, what were some of the lessons that you learned as a buyer? And then what what would you say is correlate what correlates to coming to work for someone as a potential partner? And and what would your thought process be that's similar in those for those two dentists? And then what would be the things that might be different if I'm gonna go just buy my own shop, kind of run it solo? Maybe I'll buy a second one down the road, I don't know, versus no, I see Riverside and what they're doing. I want to jump on board that train. That looks amazing. I'd like to partner up with someone. Um, right. Can you kind of talk about those two folks and lessons you've learned and from where you sit? Yeah. So I think a lot of it is qualitative and understanding who you are and and what your skill set is. Many people love the concept of entrepreneurialism. And especially today, people see this this as like a, a desirous thing. Like, I want to be a practice owner. And, and really to, to kind of to repeat what I said earlier, there are tremendous benefits to owning a practice. I mean, the, uh, a myriad of myriad benefits. There's no question about it. You know, autonomy and 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 you know all of the things that 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 feed who you are as a person. Uh, not to mention the financial benefits of being a practice owner, which are of course numerous. But the 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 dealing with the day to day issues that come about especially with with team members can be challenging and i have uh, again as somebody who i think relates to people very well i've been very fortunate i i don't have a lot of turnover i never really did maybe immediately following the pandemic there was kind of like that macro shift and that kind of stuff but but realistically i've been very fortunate but i hear from multiple dentists, multiple professionals that just dealing with staff. And I know it firsthand, of course, I don't just hear it dealing with dealing with interpersonal issues and in, uh, among staff is, is real. I mean, you, you're, you have to deal with banks, you have to deal with uh, landlords, you have to deal with vendors, you have to deal internally. So the, I, I'm not trying to discourage or dissuade for me, it was the most, uh, 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 it, it helped me get to where I am. I mean, it's, it's what I did. I started, like I said, from scratch, it, it really gives me a lot of personal satisfaction that I was able to build something from nothing. And I think it is very satisfying if you can do it, but it's not without its own set of pitfalls. I was actually talking with, uh, an associate of mine, who's a personally very good friend of mine about, you know, like the benefits of being involved in a large scale organization, the qualitative stuff like collaboration and camaraderie and shared ideas and best practices and all of that kind of stuff. And then, of course, the the fact that financially you're not the risk is the, the risk isn't as significant. Um, but 
you compare that to starting a practice where the ramp is is challenging the financial stability may be eventually there usually but may not be the cash flow becomes a little bit of an issue early on in particular and it, it's challenging you know we talk about like what percentages doctors make as a as a percentage of their collections or production or whatever it is and you know, the number is just this kind of like random thing. It's like, oh, I want to make 40%. But like, if you're making 40% of a number that is less than 30% of a much higher number, what does the percentage mean? You're, you, you're looking at one side of the calculation, uh, not to mention the cost and the risk and all of that kind of stuff. So again, I'm all over the place in my response. Uh, I guess, yeah. But, so, but it, you know, go ahead. Is it yeah, managing? I hear that too. So just, um, the headline of the podcast is bloody tooth guy says managing staff is the hardest part of entrepreneurship. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and I'm, I'm tongue in cheek a little yeah, bit, no. so very consistently. I hear from the buyers that I work with that have bought practices. That's the hardest new skill to acquire is managing people, managing relationships. Well, uh, so no surprise there, but do I hear you saying it's a little bit harder for the solopreneur versus the um, associate that's going to come in and partner with a bigger group? Or are you saying that's a challenge no matter which way you come into dentistry? I think the larger scale organization tends to be able to deal with, mm. with teams better than, unless you personally have a, a strong root in that, right? So if you're somebody who's exceptional at managing people, then you take that variable out of it because you do that well, uh, but maybe you don't do finance well, right? Maybe you can't look at an Excel spreadsheet and understand one thing. And, and because of that, like you're limited there because you don't understand. So people like, like people talk about EBITDA, right? So EBITDA is this thing that, that, that no, not one dentist knew five years ago. Now everyone's throwing this word around like, yeah, multiples and this and MOIC, like all this BS that like nobody who was a dentist before five years ago had even very few had had even thought about. But you have a situation where, you know, if if you if you have a practice, like you have multiple practices, the revenue might be there, but the profitability on that one location may not be there. And you think it's like, oh, it's great. Look at it. It's doing really, really well. But when you look at the bottom line, you're losing money on a monthly basis there or you're flat there it devalues your big picture enterprise value and then you have a you have a different kind of question so you might be really good with people but really bad with money i always from the entire like totality of my career was focused on patient experience it's i mean i own the ip optimal patient experience each and every time it was it was it, it was everything to me more than just rhetoric it was everything i always thought that the business of oral surgery was exceptional delivery of care and frankly now that i'm like seeing like business finance i see it a different way i never ever will will shift from like if is this the decision that I'm going to make to optimize the patient experience? Because it has to be that because ultimately your patient and and your referring doctor is your best advocate. But the business of surgery and dentistry uh, and the business of delivering care are really very separate things. I love yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. yeah perfect. Hey, um, Doctor Arbuck, final question for you. Would you? What would be one or two things you'd want a young buyer to know about either buying into uh, becoming a partner in your business or someone else's business or buying out somebody else? You've bought and sold a lot of practices, bought more than sold. Um, 
what would be a good lesson you've learned from the experience? Something that uh, you'd want to pass along? I'd say there's always things that you don't know. So there, there are those uh, tremendous unknowns. And, and despite the, the best due diligence that you possibly can do, you're going to uncover things that, that are not visible until you own the business. So um, again, not to dissuade, it's part of the beauty of it, figuring out how to deal with whatever comes your way. But I would say, you know, there's all, there are always things don't, Things are not always as they appear, and so when I when I have when I have purchased practices in the past, you, you uncover maybe billing practices or or interpersonal relationships within the practice that you did not know existed, or really high quality uh, employees versus high low quality employees versus a situation like what we're doing um, with Max, which is to say, you know, it, it's not that there is it's not that there are uh, fewer things that you need to be concerned about because you need to be concerned about everything. But the fact is, is that when you're in a larger organization, and, and then I'll I'll give you my final thing, uh, when you're in a when you're in a larger organization, you you and you know you're with the right people, you generally have to put some trust behind the fact that these are experts in whatever they're whatever mm -hmm. they're doing. And yeah. I think that go ahead. Yeah, I'm gonna interrupt you and just kind of I'm gonna. I'm going to consolidate what you said, and then I'm going to ask the follow-up question that most, uh, probably at least 50% of my buyers ask the follow-up question of the following. But what I hear you saying is get comfortable realizing that you're going to make a giant purchase and not know everything Yep. Be because it's impossible to know everything. Okay. That's, that's kind of the core of your message. But then let me give you the rebuttal that, that at least half of my buyer clients say is, well, no problem, Brian, I'm a dentist. I'm smart. I will now dig in and I will understand everything before I buy the practice. Because by the way, that's what made me a good clinician is I understand the details. So you tell me I can't understand uh, all the staff relationships and the billing practices. Well, no problem. I will not sign on the dotted line until I understand every iota of billing practices and every staff interaction to which you say. Honestly, if something feels right in your gut, and, and like th that's how I've operated my entire existence. And people who are so analytical, like over analytical, they they you know they 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 hem and they haw about everything. Go read that little pamphlet, "Who Moved My Cheese," which you know sp speaks to the that whole concept. Like sometimes you just have to. Not sometimes. In life, there is risk. So there's calculated risk. You should not be foolish about what you're doing, but you have to kind of like accept the fact that there is risk and you cannot control everything. And then, frankly. To some degree, the the an, the analytical nature of the dentist is to to some degree uh, the detriment of the business minded person, right? So you look at you look at a situation where you overanalyze, and it's like, of course, you could see a million reasons why this will not work, but you got to look forward and you got to see, okay, if I take this risk here and believe in myself, and I know I'm going to provide exceptional care, and the market demographics are right, blah 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 blah, blah whatever it is then this is going to be a successful venture by and large still especially in, in the markets you're talking about where you know um, private people buying pr uh, dental practices multiples are very very low like you know relative to a typical business you, you know yeah right so i mean if you're if you're buying a practice as an individual buyer and you're going to staff it yourself and you're going to be there you're going to have a successful outcome um so long as you do right by patients and right in the community you're ethically driven and and you know you that kind of stuff but yes i think 
a problem with dentists in general, all of us, many of us is, you know, no one sees the forest or the trees and you just have to kind of sometimes take a leap of faith. And in that way, you end up doing much better in the long run. So definitely follow if you don't, I can't, there, there's not very many dentists who don't, but follow bloody tooth guy on your socials. Dr. Jason Auerbach is uh, your, of course, your real name, uh, Riverside Dental, uh, Riverside Oral Surgery or Riverside Dental? Riverside Oral Surgery, oral surgery. It, oh, just oral maxillofacial surgery, oral maxillofacial. Riverside Oral Surgery yeah. and Max Surgical Specialty. And I'm, and I'm mentioning those both as a thank you for being a guest and giving of your time uh, with, you know, just as, as everyone knows for the podcast, no money ever changes hands for these. But I do want people to go follow because the way you guys do social media, both from um, just just the bloody tooth guy stuff alone, but also for the Riverside Oral OMFS stuff. The way you guys run socials, the way is I've, I've watched your guys stuff for years is how you do social media as a dental practice owner. Uh, so you. people can go learn a lot from you. Is there any anything else you'd want uh, buyers, you know, young associates, dental students to be aware of in terms of resources you have available? Listen, I'm I'm I, I'm always oddly willing to talk to almost anybody. I, I do, you know, I, I'm ridiculously busy, thankfully, but at the same time, I'm, I'm always looking to help. I am fortunately at the point in my career where, you know, my, you know, I'm trying to impart information. It's what I do. I don't get paid for to talk to people or anything like that. And, and I'm fine with that. Um, it, I, I'm fortunate enough that my business yields for me what I needed to yield for me. But I, I will tell you, I, I I love helping people. I think that we are fortunate that we're in an exceptional profession. It it, it, it it things have changed significantly in our profession, but I think we are still in like just one of the most wonderful things. We help people every day. Uh, that's not just BS. That's really how I feel. We're fortunate enough to help people every day. We interact with a lot of human beings and people depend on us. And, and I think like, again, in, you do the right thing. You leverage relationships you have in a positive way. You'll, everyone will be fine. I really believe that. Dr. Jason Auerbach, thank you for being a part of the Practice Purchase Podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Mm-hmm.